Good morning, everyone. It's been a blessing to be here. Well, I was asked to have the second message, which is always a little bit scarier than the first one for some reason. I'm supposed to have the main meal, the big chunk of meat, but anyway, we'll see what God has for us. chosen to preach about the story that Jesus experienced. He didn't really tell it. The Gospels tell it. The story of the rich young ruler. <clears throat> I think I'll just read that account to start with. So you can turn to Mark chapter 10. And we'll start reading at verse 17. This was right after Jesus had taken some young children and blessed them. There was people brought young children to him and the disciples were displeased, thought Jesus didn't have time for that, but Jesus showed them what was most important. And then Jesus got up to go somewhere. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these things have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about, and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again, and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that have that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake, and the gospel's. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last first. This is not a very long story, but for myself, as I read this, I 
maybe as you could say, I have a little bit of trepidation when I read this because of the drastic thing that Jesus asked this man to do. Sell everything that he has and give to the poor. Just get rid of everything. What if Jesus would ask me to do that? Or is that maybe what he's asking us to do? Maybe we'll just read this and tiptoe around it and go on with life the way we like it. But I don't think that's the right thing to do with the scripture. And I don't think that I'm necessarily going to be able to explain it all together. This account was given in three of the Gospels. So to me it means that it's a fairly important message because the Gospels were inspired by the Word of God, by the Holy Spirit, and we need to hear this message. And each account has different details. And as I go through this, I will probably be uh, bringing in some details in some of the other accounts to make it as complete as possible. Um, We all will say that he was the rich young ruler. Well, we don't get that from this account. It just says one came. It doesn't say, I mean, it doesn't even say he was a he. But later on we see that, yeah, he was a person. He was a he. But um, in Matthew it tells he was young. So we know it was a young person that came. In Luke it says that he was a ruler. It doesn't say he was young, and it doesn't say he was rich to start with. They all say he was rich at the end. So there was different parts of it that different ones bring out. Mark says that he came running and knelt down, and he was the only one that says he came running and that he knelt down. The others just say he came and asked him. So here we have the complete picture. A young man comes running. A young, rich ruler comes running and kneels down before Jesus. And I suppose that was an unusual thing. It wasn't every day that somebody comes running down the path to Jesus and kneels down before him and asks him a question. And especially not a rich man. Rich men are more dignified than that, aren't they? They usually have people come running to them. Or have someone else do the running for them. I suppose it was obvious that he was rich by the clothes he was wearing. I don't know for sure, but I would guess so. And so this was fairly unusual that a rich man would come running and kneel down before Jesus. The disciples probably thought he had some great need, some great thing to ask of Jesus. Surely he wants somebody healed, one of his acquaintances, or somebody died and he wants Jesus to raise him from the dead. Somebody that comes running and kneels down before him has a great need. But that wasn't the case. He was just asking, how do I get eternal life? And I find this very interesting as we consider this rich young ruler. He obviously was a smart man because he was able to get to the position he was in life. He had lots of riches. He was a ruler. He didn't get that way by being lazy, by uh, not applying himself 
So he was a diligent man. He was a man that did a lot of thinking. He probably thought more outside the box than normal people did. And it even carried over to his spiritual life. He didn't just think about the temporal things, but he started thinking about eternal things. And he was trying to be very careful to be good. All his life he was trying to be good. But something was missing. Somehow all his, the things that he had and the trying to be good, he just was afraid that he was missing something. So he was a deep thinker and I believe he came with honest sincerity, seeking what he needs to do. And he came to the right place. He came to Jesus. There was nobody else that could tell him what he needed to do to gain eternal life. So the first thing he says is, Good master, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? It seemed like goodness was very important to him. Notice he said, Good master, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And as we see later, His whole life was, um, that was one of his focuses, was to be good. It's also interesting that he thought an inheritance could be gained by doing something. An inheritance is something that is given to you. You don't gain it by working for an inheritance. Was he maybe afraid that God wouldn't notice him when he gives out his inheritance, when he starts passing out eternal life? Would he maybe not notice this rich young ruler because he hadn't done everything he could have? And if he does enough good things, then God will notice, hey, there's a man that I want to give eternal life to. I don't know, but anyway, Jesus started out by pointing out what real goodness was. He said that God alone is good. Why do you call me good? I think he wanted this ruler to realize that he actually was God. But he said, God alone is good. In effect, he was saying, you can't be good. You've been trying to be good, but you aren't. And I'm not sure if he caught on or not. Romans 3.12 says, they are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. For there is not a, and also in Ecclesiastes 7.20, for there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. It's good for us to be reminded that all our righteousness is as filthy rags. Even after we're born again, so many of the things that we try to do to be good are tainted with evil, possibly. You know, we might think we're doing the best we can, but all of a sudden we find that, oh, there was a little undercurrent of a wrong attitude or something, even in the things that we do that we try to be good. Only as God gives us goodness can we be good enough. And then Jesus goes on and seems to play along with the idea of the rich young ruler being good to gain eternal life. He says, uh, you know the commandments 
I think I'll read it here because I have it with all the things that the other Gospels bring in. If thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, which? Jesus saith, thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Oh, okay, this young man thought, I'm on the right track. He answered and said, Unto him, Master, all these things have I observed from my youth. What lack I yet? Surely I'm almost there. It can't be much more that you ask of me to do, because I've done all these things. He was possibly getting excited that pretty soon he's going to have the ticket to heaven. Jesus is going to tell him one more thing to get to do, and he's going to, he's going to have the ticket to heaven. seemed like he thought that he was good by default, maybe. In other words, if he stays away from all the bad things, then that means he's good. Is that the way it works? You notice all the things that Jesus said were, don't do bad things, don't kill people, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't say lies, don't defraud people, don't cheat people. Honor thy father and thy mother. In other words, don't be mean to them or don't be mean to your neighbor. Don't do this, don't do that. If you don't do bad things, you'll be good. Do we ever think that without realizing that we're spending a lot of our effort trying not to do bad things? And if we don't do bad things, then we're probably good. And then we're free to make our own choices. I can do what I want with my time, talents, and money. Because we're not being bad, so therefore we're good, so that should be fine. But it doesn't work that way. Jesus needs to be Lord of all, or he isn't Lord at all. It's not that we have free things for ourselves that we can do whatever we want with. Everything needs to be committed to the Lord. The next phrase I find very interesting. It says, Jesus beholding him loved him. And Mark is the only one that records that. Jesus beholding him loved him. Why did Jesus love him? It seemed like as this conversation was going, Jesus suddenly had a feeling of love for this person. And how could Mark tell that he loved him? Somehow Mark knew, or somehow it came out, that it was obvious that Jesus loved this young man. It's kind of a special detail. We can see into the heart of Jesus, his feelings. Possibly it was because He knew the need in this man's heart, and he knew how he would respond. And maybe it was pity, but Jesus needed to tell him the truth. He wasn't going to not tell him the truth just because he was afraid of how he'd respond. So he told him. 
the things that he lacks. You know, the young man asked, what do I lack? And so Jesus told him in plain words, Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. Jesus told him he was only lacking one thing, but it takes six things to fix it. He gives him six things to do. Go, sell, give, come, take up, and follow. That was what was needed to take care of that one thing that he lacked. But what was that one thing that he lacked? He didn't lack money. What was it that he lacked? It says, one thing thou lacked. And what was that one thing? Well, I had to think a little bit how to describe it in one word. One thing thou lackest. What was it that he lacked? Well, I came up with the word dependence. He lacked dependence. He was independent. He was self-reliant. He could take care of his own problems. He was good. He was rich. He was a ruler. He could take care of his own problems but he didn't have dependence on God. In every area of life, God wants us to depend on him. And he wanted this young ruler to realize that he needs to depend on God. And the only way to get that is to get rid of the stuff he was depending on. He needed to get to the place that he couldn't make it without God. So here he comes to the crucial choice that he had to make. A very crucial choice. And how would we respond if we come up to a choice instantly like that, that we have to make? We like to spend some time thinking about it, and that's not all bad. But it seemed like he was brought to the choice instantly, and he had to say yes or no. and unfortunately he made the wrong choice he decided he would rather make it without God than without money he felt money is more dependable than God is money could offer him more than what God could And so he walked away. I'm sure his head was down, and he wasn't running this time, was he? He was a sad man. And I suppose as he thought it through, he thought, you know, this is actually more than money he's asking me to give up. He's asking me to give up my prestige. He was a ruler. He was well thought of. He had to give up his reputation. He had to give up his friends because a lot of his friends were a result of his place in life because of his money. His friends would probably turn against him and say, what in the world is the matter with this guy? I mean, it doesn't even make sense. You could maybe sell all you have, but put it in the bank. Don't give it away to the poor. You might need it later. It doesn't make sense. He had to give up easy living. 
with his position and his money, I'm sure he had servants all over the place. He didn't have to do much work. He could do whatever he wanted. He could go wherever he wanted. He had to give up his freedom. This was more than just money. It was a whole lifestyle that he had to give up. And it was too much. So he walked away. If we look at uh, the things that he asked him to do, well, first of all, go sell what you have. Go, go thy way. Go back home to where you live. Sell what you have. Give to the poor. And then come back to me. Don't just stay at home, but come back to me. Take up the cross. That's a difficult thing. Take up the cross and follow me. Depend on me to take care of your needs. Depend on me for your food, for your clothes, for your friends. Depend on me for everything. It's interesting to note that it doesn't appear like there was any arguing, no questioning, no discussion. He just walked away, said, I can't do it. And Jesus didn't call him back and say, hey, wait a minute, I want to explain more to you. I want to talk to you more about this, help you to understand it. He just walked away and that was the end of the conversation. Was he hurt or offended? I don't know. It would seem like he might have reason to be because who else did Jesus say this to? Who else did Jesus say you're supposed to sell everything you have and give it away and follow me? He told other people they need to take up their cross, but to actually sell everything and come and follow him. That doesn't seem fair. Why did he tell me that? Does that mean that Jesus said it wrong? Should Jesus have used more tact so that he would have understood it better and maybe he could have had him listen to him? So after he left, Jesus turned around, looked at his disciples. And he said, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answering again, and saith unto them, children, how hard is it for them that that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying, Who among themselves, who then can be saved? Why were the disciples so amazed at this? I mean, they were not rich people, and they seemed to have a grasp of the proper values in life. In fact, Peter caught on pretty fast and said, Well, Lord, we have left everything and followed you. So we should be pretty good. So why were they so amazed when Jesus said it's very difficult for rich men to enter the kingdom of God? I'm not exactly sure why they were so amazed. But in the Old Testament, and probably up until this time, riches were a sign of God's blessing. 
If somebody was rich, it means that God was helping them, giving them all these things. But Jesus wanted them to understand clearly what the problem is with riches. He told them two times how hard it is for rich men to enter the kingdom of heaven. So what about us? As we go through this message, I don't want anyone to start thinking about, well, somebody else is richer than me, so this applies to him. That won't do any of us any good to think about other people. It's only as we apply it to ourselves that we can profit from this account. And I think it's very important for us to uh, diligently consider ourselves in light of this passage because it appears to be a matter of life and death, doesn't it? This thing of wealth and riches and how we relate to them and eternal life. And I think that all of us here could consider ourselves rich compared to most of the people in the world. We have more than enough money to have a roof over our heads and food on the table, which is more than most people can say. And then we have extra money that we can choose to do with what we want. That's maybe where the difficulty comes in. What do we do with our extra money? Now I have a bunch of questions, probably more questions than answers, just to get us to think. Jesus clearly said that the more money a person has, the harder it is to get to heaven. So why do we work so hard to make more money? (laughs) You know, really, honestly, why do we? Make more money so we have a harder time getting to heaven. And then the question comes to us, to us, how would we respond? No. What would Jesus say to us if we would ask him, what are we lacking yet? Lord, I'm trying to serve you. Is there anything that is lacking in my life? Anything that I should change? Are we brave enough to ask him that? It might be kind of scary. Too often, at least it's for me that way, that I would rather just kind of go on in life and if Jesus wants me to change something, he'll tell me. How would that work? You know, he knows everything that I need and if I need to change something, he'll tell me. Rather than putting forth effort to asking Jesus, is there anything you want me to do different? Is there something that's a problem? Well, I'm not sure if that's the right way to do it. In fact, I kind of doubt if it is because it's easy for us to maybe ignore when Jesus does try to tell us something. Uh, That's just somebody's idea or we think about something else quick. If Jesus tells us something, we should do differently. 
He wants us to change something. Do we really hear it when he tells us? But if we put forth conscious effort to ask him, what do I need to do differently? What do I lack yet in my Christian life? Then we are open to hear and God will tell us. One of the commentaries or whatever that I was reading had this statement. Wealth gives men a strong impression of personal independence. Though men are absolutely dependent on God and to a great extent on one another, there is in all of us a natural feeling of independence. Nor will it be denied that wealth is, a very, is very apt to foster this unseemly self-reliance and this haughty contempt of God. Now that last phrase there seems pretty um, far out. We wouldn't have contempt of God. If we don't depend on God like we should because we have too much money, isn't that actually what it is, is haughty contempt of God? We don't really need God. We just kind of ignore Him because we can get a lot of our stuff ourselves. But that's what it really comes out to be, is haughty contempt of God. That sounds pretty bad. And the next question is, are we even qualified to judge ourselves in this matter? Mark 4.19 says, and this was Jesus' words, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. We all agree that riches are deceitful. I mean, that's pretty obvious. It says it right here. So if riches are deceitful, are we able to judge ourselves whether we're deceived or not? Next question is, does the possibility of being deceived increase with the amount that we have? Does that make it more likely that we're deceived the more we accumulate? If we think of maybe somebody in Haiti that barely has enough food to eat, are they likely to be deceived by riches? Maybe. It would seem like not as likely as we are. I had to think of that example that uh, Marcus gave in the children's lesson of that web that gets around us. Just slowly, slowly it gets around us. More and more, and we don't realize it. If we really believe that riches are deceitful, would we keep accumulating more and more? Getting more and more stuff that's more likely to deceive us. We know it's going to deceive us, but we want more and more. Somehow it doesn't quite make sense. I don't know. And how can we be sure riches have not already deceived us? Well, I'm not going to give a lot of answers for this, because I'm not sure that I have them. probably have more questions than answers. And I'm almost out of things to say, so it's a strange place to quit. I know. It's not a very soft landing. Just a few more thoughts. 
Because we have plenty, we need to make conscious effort to depend on God instead of our money. And as I was reading through this account, um, the last words that we read about what Jesus said, verse 29, There is no man that hath left houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother and so on. No one that has done something on purpose for the cause of Christ will not be rewarded. God notices those things that we do on purpose for the kingdom of heaven, and he will reward us. That's a promise we have. So let's do that. And also, um, Christ is not asking us to do something that he didn't do himself. Did he leave everything behind and empty himself of all his riches? Yes, he did. He left the glories of heaven, came down to this earth, and took up the cross for our sakes. So we have him as an example. Let's take it seriously and follow his example.